right. Happy, happy Father's Day. Good to see you guys. And uh, got some good root beer out there, don't they? Uh, what's your favorite part of the day? What's your favorite part of the day? You know, my, my favorite part of the day is the end part of the day. You get home, you know, a hard day's work, and this is my favorite chair, recliner. You sit back, and you're like, ah, Steph, can you get me a Coke? Um, that's the way I think about it. That's not the way it actually happens, all right? But that's the way I think about it. Because you get to the end of the day, and just kind of relax and rest. You ever get just tired? You know, the, the kind of tired, not, not the kind of tired that a good night's sleep. The kind of tired where somebody in your family's in the hospital. Is there anything more tiring than to sit day after day, week after week at the hospital with a sense of anxiety, not sure what's going to happen or how it's going to play out? It just, it, just, it just wears you out emotionally. Or maybe someone in your family have lost their job and you're not sure how, how it's going to go. You know, are they going to be able to find another job? Is it, you're going to have to move. What, what's going to take place? A real, a real weariness, a real tiredness. Well, that's really what I want us to talk about on this Father's Day. You know, a lot of times when we think about dads, we think about a recliner. Um, or at least that's what I think about when I think about my dad. By the way, I have my, oh, let me turn it around. I have my mug club. How many of you have got your mug uh, in the mail in the last couple of weeks? Yeah. Mine has root beer from out front, and if you haven't had that root beer, it's really good. But anyways, you realize it's these things actually, if you were at camp all week, of course it was free for all of our children. If you were here on Saturday when we went out and really made a difference in our community with Mission Saturday, that all happens as a result of people's generosity. And this year, trying to do it, you know, some of the things different is we wanted you, when you had your coffee in the morning or in the afternoon or your root beer at church, to be able to be reminded that you're a part of something that's bigger than you, something that's not about you, but about somebody else. So that's what these are about. And I think we sent them out to anybody who gave, I think it was $99 or more, and uh, we're going to do it all year long. So it's pretty cool. And it's a pretty nice cup, mug, cup, I don't know what the difference is. But I do want to talk about being tired. So if you pull out that outline that you got when you came in today, let's look at a passage of scripture that's found in the book of Galatians. It talks about this kind of weariness, this kind of tiredness. Look what it says. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Okay, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing. Now, let me ask you the question. How many of you would like to reap a harvest of blessing? Right? I mean, I mean who doesn't want to experience God's goodness? If, circle that, if, there's an if there. God says that you and I can reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. And that's, that's the challenge. You know, the, the problem with being weary or being tired is it tempts you to give up. When people get tired, they tend to give up. And when I say give up, I don't mean quit. There are a lot of people who have given up on their marriage, but they're still married. Or they've given up on their career, but they still get up every morning and they go to work. They've given up on their dream, but they're still alive. 
I think that scripture is talking about more than just quitting. It's saying that if we continue to have passion and energy towards that that we dream about, the purpose in our life, we will reap a harvest. If we just don't allow ourselves to get too weary or too tired. Because it just creates discouragement. When you get tired, you get discouraged. When you get tired, you get anxious. When you get tired, you make decisions you normally wouldn't make. You do things you normally wouldn't do. And I want us to look into the scriptures, and I want us to look at a biblical character who maybe can help us out a little bit. And probably one maybe you're familiar with. I don't know. His name is Joseph. He's an Old Testament character. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Joseph was born into a family that had a promise. He was a descendant of Abraham. And you remember, God made a promise to Abraham. He told Abraham that he would be a great nation and that one day his descendants, which Joseph was one of, they would bless the whole world. So Joseph was born into a family that had a promise from God. But not only that, Joseph himself had a dream. He had a promise as well. Joseph, one day, he was the youngest of 11, there were 12 kids, he was the youngest. And he went out one day and he told his older brothers what his dream was, is that he was going to be a great leader and his brothers were going to follow him. He goes as far as to say, guys, I had this dream, I'm going to be this great leader and you are all going to bow down before me. How do you think that went over? Anybody here have a little brother or a little sister? How would that go over, right? I don't think it went over very well. And his dad, I don't know if it was because he was the youngest, but his dad liked him the best. He gave him a coat of many colors. And you can just see old Joe wearing that coat around, talking about his vision and his purpose and his dream. His brothers disliked him so much that they didn't just punch him in the nose. They threw him in a pit. And when some slave traders came by, they sold their brother into slavery. Joseph finds himself, of course, as a young man in very unfamiliar territory. He gets bought by a high-profile Egyptian. Now, the Egyptians were the most powerful nation in the world at the time, a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar puts Joseph over his household. And Joe seems to have a knack for it. Everything he touches prospers. It it does really well. But not only that, Joseph, well, he was was good looking. And being good looking is a curse, isn't it, guys? You're supposed to, that's your opportunity, all right? Yeah, and, and so Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and is like, oh, man. She invites him to her bedroom, and it's not to knit. And he's like, I'm not interested. I I can't do that. This would be wrong. Be wrong to your husband. It'd be wrong to my God. And he runs away. And she reaches out. She grabs a hold of his jacket. And, of course, she's miffed that he would turn her down. And so she, she claims rape. And Joseph then finds himself back in prison, falsely accused. While he's in prison, he meets a couple of government employees. He meets the baker who bakes for the Pharaoh, makes the cupcakes or whatever it is Pharaohs eat. He also meets the cupbearer. And the cupbearer would basically taste the wine before Pharaoh drank it to make sure it wasn't poisonous. They were both important positions. Well, they had some dream. You ever, how many of you have ever had a dream, kind of a wacky dream, and you're like, I wonder what that means. Does that mean something? Maybe you dream. How many of you have dreamed the same dream more than once? Well, they had a dream, and, and Joseph interpreted it for them. He told them. He told the, 
Baker, I got bad news for you. You're never going to leave the prison. You're actually going to lose your life. Pharaoh's going to take your life. And then he told the cupbearer, you're going to be restored. You're going to go back to your position. And he said, when you go back, don't forget me. Remember, I am the one who interpreted your dream, and I am the one who has been falsely accused, and I am the one that find myself here in this prison. And that's where we pick up the story, if you look in your outline, in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you've been forgotten, overlooked? I mean, you work and work, you do the best that you can, and when it comes promotion time, uh, the, the, the person who knows the person who's a relative to that person is the one who gets the promotion, and you're stuck at the same job. It's like you're being forgotten, you're being overlooked. You know there's more that you have to offer, and yet no matter how hard you try, it just doesn't seem to, to make progress or to get the promotion or to experience the healthy relationship. Well, that's exactly what Joseph felt. He had done. Remember what Galatians said? Don't grow weary in well-doing. Well, you know, Joe, everything he had done was well-doing. He hadn't done anything God told him not to. He had done everything God told him to do, and now he's forgotten. Or at least that's the way it looks. In the very next verse, chapter 41, verse 1, it says, And it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. So he's been in prison for two years, falsely accused, doing what God had asked him to do. Of course, if his brothers wouldn't have sold him into slavery, he wouldn't even be in this situation. You ever get tired of just fighting? You ever feel like you're just, the more you fight, the deeper you sink into the sand? I mean, it just seemed like it's really been a long time since you had any kind of breakthrough or any kind of success, any kind of fulfillment. Well, that's who Joe is. And I think those are things that wear us out, man. They tire us to the point where we just, just want to quit. Well, that's exactly what's going on in the life of Joseph. And that's why I think he can teach us, what do you do? When you really are tired, because I think there are probably some of us here today. It's Father's Day, and you're here, but man, deep down inside, you've either quit, or you're thinking about it. Oh, I mean, you're not going to leave your spouse. You're just going to quit trying. Quit trying to get that business off the ground. Well, what, what does Joseph teach us? Here's the first thing, if you want to jot it down in your outline, is that we need to rest in our gift. Rest in our gift and be reminded that our enemy is doubt. Rest in our gift. Now, here's what I mean. We get tired of trying to control our circumstances, but our circumstances, um, are, it's not our circumstances that's going to give us our breakthrough. And here, we try to control our circumstances. We tend to have this mindset that in order for me to succeed, this has all got to be in order, and, and so does this, and, and i got to make sure and take care of this. And we just wear ourselves out trying to make sure that all of these external things are, are where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing, just controlling all of these outside things. When it is not your circumstances that are going to determine your success. It's not the externals that are going to determine your success. You know, do you know what's going to take you or bring you to your breakthrough? It's your gift. And your gift, you already have. It was given to you at birth. As a Christ follower, the Bible says that you even have a spiritual gift as well. 
See, our tendency is to try to fight the externals, try to get everything in place, making sure that everybody knows what I, here I am, <laughs> here's what I can do, and, and I got to make sure I get this all written and all this all done, and we're doing all these things out here so that we can get noticed, so that we can get the opportunity that's out there in front of us, when in reality, we ought to just rest in what you already have, it's your gift. I don't know if you watched, we celebrated, we've been doing a vlog, I don't know what I'm doing, but we're learning, okay, and we've done a hundred of them, and so we celebrated last Sunday. One of the things we did is we went to iFly. Have any of you guys been there? Ah, oh, it's a popular place I can see. Um, but anyways, we went, and, and let, me sh let me show you, it's like an indoor parachuting place. This is what happened when we went. Again, we do it right at the every once in a while, more times than not, occasionally, random, behind the scenes, pastor's vlog, celebrating 100. We're here at the I Fly Skydiving. Now, here's what this means. I am about to face me alone, 100 mile an hour winds for you. That's why I do it. I'm just like one of those weathermen on the weather channel facing the winds. I'm about to be blown all over the place for you because I care about you. And so we're going to celebrate right here. Indoor skydiving. That is if I don't wait too much. Can a 100 mile an hour wind get me in the air? That's the question. And we're going to find out in just a moment. I'll change then if that's it. Let's change. Break your chin. Choke. Mm -hmm. right here. It's a little tight. He's it got is. a big dome. <laughs> He's got that's a big brain. Yeah, all the <laughs> Alright guys, we're getting ready to jump in the air tunnel. We're gonna fly. We're gonna see winds of over hundred miles an hour. Actually a hundred and sixty. So and I'm not gonna be very good at this, but I'm gonna give it my best effort. We'll see you on the inside. Well, we'll see you after the inside because you can't actually go in with me. It's too dangerous. Only somebody like myself will take this on. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Ah, oh, that's the wrong clip. I was a little dizzy after going in circles. But, you know, the, the, the thing is, here's what they tell you, is you, you don't want to fight the wind. 
you want to allow the, your, the wind to just take your body up. And, and so you just kind of want to spread yourself out, and they give you the signs how to do that. Now, the next day, I was sore for two days after that. And it wasn't because the wind was blowing in my face. It was because I was fighting it. You know, I, I was trying to control that hundred and whatever it was mile an hour wind myself. And I think a lot of us do life that way. We're, we're worn out because we're fighting life. When what God wants to do is all the things that are coming at you, all the things that you're trying to control are the very things that God wants to use uh, within your gift to take you to that next level. But you have to rest. You have to trust your gift. See, that's why, what is the enemy? The enemy's doubt. Why don't you trust your gift? It, well, because the enemy whispers in your ear. Well, your gift's not that good. You, you don't know the right people. You don't have enough experience. You're too young. You're too old. The, this person's better. I mean, your gift's not going to open that door. And so there is this tendency to do what? Then if my gift is not great enough to get me to my dream, then I better control all of these things out here, which in turn simply just wear me out. They just tire me out to the point until I make bad decisions to the point where I give up or where I surrender. Now, look at what it says in Genesis 41. Now, remember, Pharaoh has this dream. We're going to look at it in a few moments, and, and Joseph interprets it. But look with me in uh, chapter 41, verse 14. It says, Pharaoh sent for Joseph because he had heard about this gift. He sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Now, I like that because it says that Joseph is not going to live life. He's not going to dress for where he's been, but for where he's going. See, the Hebrews would have beards. The Egyptians were clean-shaven. Pharaoh had a fake beard that he wore, but they were all clean-shaven. And so Joseph decides that he's not going to live his life. He's not going to dress. He's not going to look like where he's been, a Hebrew slave in prison. He's going to live his life. He's going to dress for where he's going. There's a confidence in that. I'm going to live my life not in, a, in the sense of where I'm at. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to speak my language. I'm going to dress. I'm going to where I'm going, where my dream is what God's called me to be, what God's called me to do. Remember, Joseph had a dream early on. And there's this, this confidence in his gift, in his gift. Now, in verse 15, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when uh, you hear what you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. So this is his gift. What gets Joseph before Pharaoh? Is, it, is, is he doing a marketing program? No. What gets him before Pharaoh? His gift. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't market, but what it does mean is that you can't let those external things wear you out because it is the gift that God's given you that's going to get you to where you need to go. He says in verse, the very next verse, he says, it's beyond my power to do this, though. He says, but God can tell you what it means, and he can set you at ease. In other words, my confidence is not, it's not in me. It's in the gift that God's given me. John Maxwell said a long time ago that the gift is bigger than the person. Um, you ever met somebody that you just couldn't wait to meet, and then when you met them, you were a little bit, like, let down? They were a great singer, 
but when you met them, they weren't very impressive. It's because the gift is always bigger than the person because the gift is God-given to get you into the door of your dream. Look what the scripture says in Proverbs 21.1. It says, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He, God, guides it, the king's heart, wherever he pleases. Now think about this. A Hebrew slave finds himself in the palace of the most powerful world leader at the time. If God can do that in the life of Joseph, don't you think he can get you where you need to go? If he can find Joseph in a prison and get him through his gift into the palace, God can do the same thing in your life. And so you and I want to rest in our gift and be leery of being uh, overwhelmed with doubt. It's never going to happen. It can happen. Oh, maybe for some people, but not for me. No, no, remember, you didn't fall out of a tree or wash up on the shore. You weren't born, and then God say, okay, what, what's Johnny good at? Well, okay, maybe Johnny could be this. or could No, no, no. God looked down to the day in which you were born. He knew that there was going to be a challenge or a problem, and he put in you the solution for that challenge and that problem. You are, your gift is the answer, and it is that answer that will find the challenge or the problem, which is your dream, by the way. That's what makes our heart passionate. It makes our hearts pump fast. So we got to rest in that, have confidence in that. The second thing I jotted down is that we want to rest in our journey. And our enemy here is discontentment. Now, if you look in Exodus 41, we don't have time to read it today, but it's the dream, okay? Exodus 41, it starts in about verse uh, 17, and it, it gives the dream. And here's basically the dream that Pharaoh had, okay? He dreamed that there were seven fat cows. They were munching down on some good food on the Nile River. And then he dreamed that there were seven skinny, ugly cows who came and ate the, five, the seven fat cows, but you couldn't tell that they ate it. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to eat and not gain weight? Well, that's what happened in this dream. Then he had, woke up, the scripture says, and then he had another dream when he went back to sleep. Seven plump corn on the cob, stalks of corn. How many of you like corn on the cob? But you like it when it's so plump, you bite into it, and it hits somebody a mile away. You know what I'm saying? That's what this corn was. It's just amazing corn. And then there were seven, you know, just yucky-looking corn. And the yucky-looking corn ate the seven plump corn. That was his dream. And Joseph interprets it. He says, here's what your dream means. Here's what God says your dream means. It means there's going to be seven years of abundance the land is going to be fruitful in Egypt, more fruitful than normal. I mean, incredible amount of, of produce. He says, but then there's going to be a famine for seven years. And everything's going to be very lean for seven years. Then Joseph does something amazing. He is going to give Pharaoh leadership advice. Now think about this. During this time period, he's standing before Pharaoh. What happens if Pharaoh doesn't like what he says? He doesn't get asked to leave. He's not even going to go back to jail. He's going to be killed. And so you have this Hebrew slave standing before the most powerful world leader of his day. And he's not just going to use his gift to interpret the dream. Now he's going to give leadership insight. Look what it says in 
Genesis chapter 41 and verse 33. It says, therefore, Pharaoh should find, therefore, referring back seven years of abundance, seven years of famine, should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead. Bring it to Pharaoh's storehouse. Store it away and guard it so that there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough food to eat when the seven years of famine come into the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Now, think about the answer. The answer to Pharaoh's problem, seven good years and seven bad years, is found in the life of Joseph. See, Pharaoh was born with a golden spoon in his hand. I'm not saying that his life didn't have any problems, but I'm saying he never knew what it was like to not have enough. He never struggled to pay a bill. He, he never dealt with whether or not he'd get into the right school. He went to all the right schools. He knew all the right people. He lived in the nicest places. He went to the nicest places. He saw the nicest things. His, his life was totally different in the sense that Joseph's life was up and then it was down. He was daddy's favor. He had a coat of many colors, and then he gets sold by his brothers. But he gets purchased by a man who puts him in charge, and he's doing really good, but then he gets falsely accused. His life is up and down. In other words, what is, what is Joseph's life? It is how in the good years to prepare for the difficult years. How when you're on the mountaintop to prepare for the valley, which is exactly the solution that is needed for the problem. Seven good years followed by seven bad years. And how in the valley times of life or the difficult times of life to grow into or grow the capacity to be able to handle the mountaintop uh, aspects of life. You can think of it like this. Have you ever been on an airplane that dips? I'm not talking about turbulence. Turbulence doesn't bother me. But when you're kind of going along and all of a sudden you just fall, you just kind of dip, and that's scary, isn't it? We were coming back from Destin just a couple of weeks ago where uh, Stephanie's parents were celebrating 50 years of being married. The plane is coming into Atlanta, and it lands in the sense that the wheels touch the ground. But as soon as the wheels touch the ground, the pilot hits the throttle, and we take off again. That was scary because, of course, I have no idea why we're doing this, but I do know we don't normally do this. And, and we get up there, and we're turning around to come back and land again. He says there was an obstacle on the runway. And um, I don't know what the obstacle is. I don't want to know what the obstacle is. But I, I, I don't like, I, I don't life is a lot like that, isn't it? Where you're just going along and all of a sudden there's a dip. You get a phone call you weren't expecting. For some of us, it's going to happen today. You're driving along and there's an accident that throws your life in chaos. Or your boss says, I, I need to talk with you. And all of a sudden there's a dip in, in, in our world. How do you handle that? Or what is that about? See, we rest in the journey. And here's what I mean by that. It is in the valley aspect of life that God builds within us the capacity to handle the mountaintop. See, that part of the journey that you exert all of this energy to try to get out from under, 
I mean, you and I find ourselves in the valley and we wear ourselves out trying to climb back up to the mountaintop, not realizing that it is in the valleys of life that our capacity is enlarged. In other words, you want to start a business. You want to have your own business. Well, if you're going to have your own business, then you have to have the capacity to be able to handle the stress of payroll. And if you've ever talked to anybody that started their own business, those first few years, that one or two times a month when it's payroll day, because people do like to get paid, all right? Those are stressful days. you got to make sure there's enough income to, to pay your people. And if you can't handle that stress, then guess what? You think God's going to give you your own business? See, you're running from the very thing that God wants to use in your life to build the capacity to give you the dream that you have. And you're exerting all of this energy trying to get out from underneath as opposed to just resting in the journey. Yes, I walked through the valley, the psalmist says in uh, chapter 23, the valley of death. But I'm not afraid. Why? Because God's going with me. He's enlarging my capacity. A lot of times people want to be leaders. I want to lead at work. I want to get the promotion. Now, it, 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 and I think sometimes they're saying, I want to make more money. I want more opportunity. But you don't have the capacity to handle criticism. Somebody says something about you on Facebook and you go wild for three days. You kick the cat and yell at the dog for three days. If somebody say, See, if you, can't, if you don't have the capacity to handle criticism, then you will not be a successful leader. See, the reason you're in the valley is because God wants to leverage that valley to enlarge your capacity to deal with criticism so that he can bring you into the presence of your destiny or of your purpose or of your success. But God only puts into your hand those things that he knows you're going to be able to do what he desires to be done. He's not going to put you, he's not going to give you a breakthrough that will destroy you. See, you have to have the capacity to deal with energy. You have to have the capacity to deal with crazy people. You have to have the capacity to deal with criticism. You have to have the capacity to deal with people who betray you. If you're going to live your dream. And so many times we're working so hard trying to accomplish the promotion or to start the business. When if we would rest in our giftedness and rest in our journey, our gift would take us to where we need to go. In front of the people that we need to be in front of so that we can experience the dream that God's put inside of our heart. See, that's why the enemy is discontentment. This valley can't be right. This valley has to be wrong. This dip means that there's something wrong. And so we step outside and we're, you just, you're just working yourself to death. When in reality, what God wants to do is he wants to grow your capacity. Look what Paul said. He wrote a lot of the New Testament that's there in your Bible. He's an early church leader, incredible leader. Look what he says. He says, I have learned, in Philippians 4.11, I have learned, and this is learned, okay? Capacity is learned. Please hear that. You weren't born with the capacity to deal or to handle stress. You weren't born with the capacity to handle criticism. You weren't born with the ability or the capacity to handle lack. He says, I have learned how to be content. 
I have learned, you could say, to how to have the capacity to deal with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty, whether it's with plenty or little. And then he says a verse, maybe you've heard it before. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. What is he talking about? He's talking about capacity. I can do all things. I can walk through the valley. I can rest in my journey. Why? Because God has given me the strength so that my capacity can be enlarged, so that my gift can take me to my destiny. And you're not exerting, I'm not exerting any of that energy. God is the one doing all of that. That's what happened in Joe's life. And then the last, we rest in our gift. We don't give in to our doubt. We rest in our journey. We don't grow discontent in the, in the valley. And the last thing I wrote, and this, this may be the one that is the most challenging, is we rest in another's dream. And our enemy here is selfishness. Now, I want you to think about what we've been studying for the last few moments. Whose dream have we been talking about? Whose dream have we been talking about? Right? We've been talking about Pharaoh's dream, haven't we? Right? Pharaoh's the one who had the dream, seven cows fat, seven cows skinny, seven stalks of corn fat, seven skinny. It's all been about his dream. But Joe had a dream, didn't he? Remember Joe's dream? I told you at the very beginning of the teaching. His dream was to become a great leader and that his brothers would bow down or would follow him. He also had the dream or the promise from God that God, through his descendants, his forefathers, Abraham, would become a great nation and that would impact all of the world in a positive way. So these are Joe's dreams, but the story's been all about Pharaoh's dream. It's not been about Joseph's dream. And here's what I wrote down in my notes. Some of us have never experienced our own dream. Because of this enemy that I put in your outline called selfishness. In other words, if it's not about your dream, you are not interested. If it's not about how you can promote your company, if it's not about how it impacts you in a positive way, if it's not about how you can stamp your name on it or your logo on it in some way, then you're just not interested in it. Do you realize that there are scriptural principles that that may be the very reason you've yet to accomplish your dream? That may be the very reason that you have a dream for 10 stores, but you only have one? That you have a dream to start a new business, but you're still working for somebody else? Look what it says in Genesis chapter 41. It says, he, being Joseph, was 30 years old when he began, what's the next word? serving. And where was he serving? Was he serving his own dream given to him by God? There's no question about it. His dream of being a great leader was given to him by God that his brothers would serve him or bow down before him. That God would make him and his forefathers and his descendants into a great nation. But that's not what he's serving. He's not serving either one of those dreams. He's not spending his energy or his time on either one of those dreams. He's serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. It says, and when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. In other words, he was totally committed to this. In verse 50, it says that he marries an Egyptian woman. And in verse 51, it says he has two boys. He names one of them Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all of my troubles. 
and all of my hurt in my, family's, uh, my father's family. He names the other one Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. What does all of this mean? It means he was totally committed to Pharaoh's dream. He, he wasn't helping Pharaoh so that Pharaoh then could return help him. He wasn't manipulating Pharaoh. He wasn't leveraging Pharaoh. He was committed, loyal, serving Pharaoh. And as he did that, this is what's so incredible. Now think about it. Here's the story. You can read it. His brothers, his father, his family are in Canaan. And the seven years of famine come. And they're starving to death. And, and dad is like, you know what? I, I, I read, I heard Egypt has food. You boys need to go to Egypt before we starve to death and see if you can get some of it. So they are on their way. They go to Egypt. They find out where the food is. And they find themselves standing before their brother. They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. They find themselves standing before Joseph, who is now second in command of all of Egypt, this Hebrew slave that his gift brought him before Pharaoh. And his, I don't want to get too fast here, he's second in command. How is he second in command? Don't miss this. His gift brought him into the presence of Pharaoh, but once he was in the presence of Pharaoh, it was the capacity that he had learned in the valleys that promoted him in Pharaoh's presence. Don't miss that. Had he not been prepared for the opportunity, he would not have got the promotion. And he would not have been prepared if he had not enlarged his capacity in the valley. Many of us get opportunity that we're unprepared for because we exert all of our energy trying to get in away from the very thing God wants to use to enlarge our capacity because he knows the gift that he's put in front, inside of you is going to bring you to an opportunity of breakthrough. The question is, are you going to have the capacity to handle that opportunity? Joseph did. And so he becomes second in command. And his brothers now, get this, his brothers bow down before him asking him for food. Joseph had no way of knowing when he rested in his gift. When he committed to serve another, to serve Pharaoh's vision or Pharaoh's dream, that one day his brothers, that he didn't even know if they were still alive, but he knew they dwelt in Can uh, Canaan, would one day stand before him asking, begging, pleading him for food. In other words, it was through his willingness to serve another that God brought forth his dream. And not only did he bring forth that dream, uh, Pharaoh brings all of Joseph's family to Egypt eventually. He gives them the best land. He gives them the best food. And they multiply. And ultimately, Joseph's family becomes a great nation in which Jesus comes out of or is born from. They didn't starve to death in Canaan. Why? Why? Because Joseph served another. Can I be so bold to say that I believe there are probably some of us sitting right here in this auditorium or watching on television who have never experienced or have yet to experience your dream because you have been unwilling to serve another. And may I even be so bold to say what that another might be. It might be the vision of this house. In other words, you have gifts. You have talents. 
And yet you come and you sit and you watch, but you don't serve. And why don't you serve? If you're honest, why don't you serve? Because you're busy doing what? Trying to accomplish your dream. You're busy doing what? Trying to build your business. Does God want your dream to be accomplished? Of course he does. Does he want your business to excel? Of course he does. But how or what are the principles of his word in which he does that? In Malachi and Haggai and here in the life of Joseph, you see that it's by serving another that God breaks through in our own lives with the dreams in which we have. See, you are putting off into the future, I'll do that when. I'll serve another when I have more time. Can I tell you how many times I've heard that? I'll be generous when I experience blessing. I'll give my gifts when I retire. I'll help over there. When, and, and God says, no, no, that's not the way it works. Serve another. And listen, it's not, it's not using another. It's not saying, you know what, if I come and I help this ministry or I, I help this, the vision of this church, then, you know, can you, can you do this or can you help me? No, 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 that's, that's not what I find here. I, I got to thinking in, in the life of this church, in my life, let me read this verse because I think it could change your life. And then I'll close with this. Luke chapter 16, verse 12 says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, in other words, a commitment to another's. What does it say? Who will give you that which is your own? Might be the biggest challenge you faced. Now you got a good heart and you're well intended. And you hope to one day get around to it. But you're wearing yourself out. You're trying to build your dream, build your vision, build your career, build your company within your own strength. And it is wearing you out emotionally and physically. You know, I was thinking, and if you've been here, you know how Steph and I ended up from a small town in Paragold to Fort Lauderdale. <clears throat> Never been to South Florida, except for when, when I was in school, I came to, to look at at Barry, possibly to play basketball there. I was scared to death. I went home, never thought of it again. All right. Uh, how do we end up from a small town? Is well, we had started a church in Paragold, Arkansas. There was a conference in the capital of our state, which was Little Rock, Arkansas. I took 10 or 12 of our uh, folks, and so we all went to Little Rock. We got there. I didn't know, but the the pastor of this church at the time was leading the conference. I didn't know about this church. I'd never heard of it, and I'd never heard of the pastor. But when we got to the little breakout session, it, it, the room wasn't prepared. And so me and the folks that were with me prepared the room for who at the time was the pastor of potential church. He saw that or heard about it or whatever and invited us, all 10 of us, 12 of us, to lunch. I talked with him, spent some time with him built a relationship with him. I had no idea that, that serving him in that room on that day would open up the opportunity to be called here. But it did. When Steph and I got here, we didn't come to be lead pastors. We came to learn everything we could, thinking that God would then one day in the future send us somewhere to uh, use what we had been being taught. But we did commit 
that while we were here, we would be totally sold out to the vision. We weren't here just to get what we could get or to use or manipulate what was here in some way to get a better position for us in the future. We decided that we would do whatever needed to be done. Whatever it took was the motto that was here at the time. And whether that meant teaching young adults or whether that meant serving in the parking lot, whether there was a direct correlation to something in the future or whether it had nothing to do with the future, we committed that we were going to do that. And again, it was because of that, that serving another, that God opened up the opportunity for Steph and I to be here now 17 years. And I, I don't share that with any kind of arrogance. There are multiple times when I have missed those opportunities man, don't wear yourself out. You have a gift. Rest in that gift. Rest in the journey. The mountaintop experiences and the capacity building valleys. And serve another. And so many times that another is right in front of you. You don't have to go out and look for it. Who do I serve? No, no. Just open your eyes and see what God does. Would you bow your heads? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this is my prayer for us. Is that we would stop fighting circumstances, trying to control the externals, and that we would rest in our gift. Secondly, that we would stop expending energy, trying to get out from underneath we would stop expending energy trying to climb out of the valley but instead we would allow it to build our capacity and that we would stop focusing on ourselves, thinking about how to move our dream forward and we would be willing with humility to serve another Father I thank you for the life of Joseph thank you for what we are able to learn from him. Every person is created with a destiny and a dream. Help us not to grow weary. As long as our heart beats and our lungs take in air, may we with passion, joy, intensity, and anticipation trust you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here on Father's Day.